Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. It is an honor and a schuss to be on this program another week. One of the major steps that I would like to announce and share with everyone is that, Merz Hashem, we are now starting to have this program on 9.30. What is the station of Nissen? 9.30 a.m., yes. 9.30 a.m., and for sponsorships, which is now fully recognized program for sponsorship, you can call 718 718- Four eight seven nine nine two three. That's seven one eight four eight seven nine nine two three. And as we know, J Root Radio is an amazing organization. It's a radio program that we all benefit from, and it's a schuss for everyone to have it. So please feel free now to have your company, have your stores, or even do for a schuss to be able to have your program. Rav Nissen, just also, I'd like to share with everyone the number to call up. It's 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Now, just before we start the program, we have had in the family sort of a bit of a tragic day. My wife's grandfather of 93 years old, Rabbi Avram Yitzchak Mir, was Nifter. I would like to just share for all of us, when I look at him, at a inspiration that I feel. And I feel it's a reminder that all of us need to wake up and to realize what's in our genetic and in our DNA. So just to hear what was going on. He was 93 years old, born in Helm in Poland. He was a Yassim before the war broke out. And his mother heard that there's a lot of things going on with the Nazis, so she wanted to send him out. And by 1940, she sent him a 14-year-old Bacher, alone with a couple of people from the city of Helm, with Bacherim, to go away. No family, no brothers, no sisters, no one went along. Everyone was never killed. He was for five years going from various places with the Russians, with the partisans, fighting the Nazis, all 14 years old. Let's imagine this. And I just want people to understand who built Klal Yisrael, how our parents, our grandparents built Klal Yisrael, those that were zeichet to see them, and how we need to remember we're stronger and we're tougher than we think. We really have the strength. Then after the war, he goes home not believing the Chorban that Hitler Yomach did, and unfortunately, everyone's completely gone. Some people that survived had family members as physical support. He was completely alone. And then for several years later, four years in Paris, then comes to America. And again, just realize this, a person all alone. Can we imagine today the stress that we hear? Someone is under a little stress for whatever is happening. We have family support. We have financial support. We've got the government giving us the support. We've got Klal Yisrael, we've got Achtos, we've got organizations, we have this phone line, we've got radios. Klal Yisrael's here for you. After the war, you're a person alone, no one there. Comes to America, marries an amazing Isha Kshayra. What they built together was off the charts and amazing. But I'd like us to realize some of the steps that they've done. And if I may say so... I was in the car recently, and there was a little program, a commercial being played, and it was a psychology commercial from NYU University saying that if you spend time with your children at dinner time, 
You prevent, you prevent the kids of taking drugs. A study. We need a study to prove have normal dinner time with your kids. That's all. And then automatically kids will connect to you and they will and that's a Geisha study. It's a major deterrent of having drugs, of kids going down that path. This grandfather and grandmother, my wife's grandmother and grandfather, above Ramir and Mrs. Helen Mir, what they did was to their grandchildren, they would go and it was Mishmer, get them food. My wife shared with me many times, Friday nights they would have suppers by them. They would come over for Friday night suitors, Shabbos day suitors, how are the kids? You were involved. These are people that have built Claudius Rolf from nothing and from zero and was always wealthy and was always happy. And I'm not talking about wealth financially. I'm talking about wealth happy, had friends. He's a person from 14 years old, didn't go to a yeshiva. Can you imagine fighting for your life, being amongst Goyim the entire time? But you know what? After the war, he went to the Dafyaimi Shirim. He went to this had a shear in the morning, a Sunday morning here. He worked. He was a Kiddush Hashem wherever you went. At 93 years old, his neshama went back to the Rabbi Nishlelem. What a leader. And I would like to take it one step further. I, I felt I had this host to speak at the Levaya today. And I want to share with everyone a Pasuk. To me, it's one of the greatest Pesukim in Yirmiyahu Anavi. Yirmiyahu Anavi, as we all know, was the Navi that unfortunately was telling Klaus, well, we got to do tshuva, there's going to be a harbin. And Yirmiyahu is the Navi that actually went through the harbin. But I'd like to share with you, Imperial Chavtes, a letter, a message that Yirmiyahu sends to Klaus Yisrael in Babel. Rabbi Nissi, you give me another minute. Yes, definitely. Yep, and listen to this message. And he sends it through through two messengers. And this is the message from the Rabbi Shleilam that he sends through Yirmiyahu. This is what Hashem is saying. So to all the Klai that survived, remember, Nufachanetzak had millions of Eden. And now this is the message Hashem is sending. Banu Batim. Build houses and get full. Build your build the gra- the the vineyards and eat the fruits. Kunashim, get married. Vahalidu Vanimuvanas and have boys and girls, have children. And not only that Kulachem Noshim, there's been a Seikhip Nula Noshim Telebanimabanas. Let your children get married and have children. Irubosham Altimotu. Be merciful. Have. Don't get small. Don't start going. The world has ended. We lost Yerushalayim. Life is over. And then the Pasuk finishes off. The message finishes off with one more Pasuk. Remember, warn the, the ear, which is Yerushalayim, that we lost. And daven for it to the Rabbi Nishlayim, for Yerushalayim. Because when you daven, when there's Shalom and Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim, we have Shalom. I need us to recognize, Klal Yisrael went through a huge tragedy. But our grandparents, those of you that are listening have parents still around, and those of you that we still have several Holocaust survivors listening to these programs, you are the leaders. You have stood 
said, you have built what Yermiola said. How many of us are going around with depression? We're weak. We're anxious. We're not having the multi-million dollar houses. We're not having everything exactly the way we want it. We're only having X amount of kids. They're not in the best of schools that we wanted. They're not getting hundreds of everything the way we wanted. We're not having the designer clothes that we wanted. The room, the paint, the houses. We're not making our weekend trips that we wanted. Can we realize where our grandparents came from and how they built and they were happy and they invested in us, the children and the grandchildren. And Baruch Hashem, that's what we have today. I hope that this could be a little Osiris for everyone because for me, thinking about him was a huge Osiris, realizing the strength that we have within us. It's in our These are our parents. These are our grandparents. These are our great-grandparents all within us. And if we have our Sephardi brothers and sisters that didn't go through this Holocaust, unfortunately, as clients, so we've gone through different Holocausts. And being over there through what they went through was Holocausts of their own. This is what is in the blood of a from Yid. We need to tune into that. We need to realize the power. The same Yermiah Nabi that told us everything is going to be destroyed gave us this strength. After we're we're sent to, bo- to Gullus and to Bubble. We've got to build. We've got to be positive. And we always have to remember the Rabbi Nishleilam. Always remember your Shalayim Eretz Yisrael, where we came from, and the Tfilas. And with that, I just hope that he should be a male Tzioser for all of Kal Yisrael and with Siat Deshmaya. We will be able to have the Geula Shalema. Amen. And we will go to the first caller, Mrs. R. Excellent. To Mrs. R. Hello, Mrs. R. You're on with Mordechai of Nissen. Thank you very much for taking my call. That was very, very inspiring, what you just said. Thank you very yeah. much. You're welcome. Um, okay, so my question is regarding camp, because we're starting to think about camp applications for sleepaway camp. Oh, yes. And my 11-year-old... <clears throat> I'm sorry, what did you say? I know some places it's already too late. They're full. Oh, okay. They're sending rejection letters, yes. So my almost 11-year-old wants to go to camp. He's the youngest in the house. And um, I don't have a problem sending him. I was just wondering if you can point out things that, um, maybe some pointers on how to know if a child is really ready to go to camp. Well, one of the simple steps are, are half his class going? Simple as um, that. Yeah, I, but that's part of the peer pressure that he wants to go, I think. <clears throat> Well, can it also be that it's not only in, it's not only peer pressure, but it's appropriate now. Right, it is the right age. That's right. Okay, so that so tell me your kid is seven years old or eight years old, and he'll be the first one going. And there's those small bunks, and he's not ready. He's more a mom as a kid, and he doesn't like sleeping away, or he's not comfortable as one level. But just be aware: once you've got half the class going, or most of the class going. That means it's normal. What okay. I won't discuss is something else. Let's say your kid calls up and tells you, don't think I want to go. Then maybe I'm afraid to go. Then maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to go. Maybe I'll be homesick. This right. Is this, is exactly the, this is exactly ah. what, he just, what he said to me. Exactly Excellent. the lines that you said in that order. <laughs> Excellent. So that is 100% normal. Okay. That, he's nervous. It would be his first time. That's right. Um, he is the youngest. He is more attached to us than my of other course. two. Um, he has slept away for a few days at a, at a family member, relative's house. 
No problem. Absolutely no problem. Um, So really, um, I think he's ready, but he never went away for four to eight weeks at a time. Exactly. So first let's validate. When you speak to him, it makes sense for you to be afraid. And you always want to validate him that if you're afraid or you don't like it, we can come up with a system how you should be able to come home. Always like giving the reassurance. Tell him, but most likely we're going, to dis- we're going to find a way that you know you can do it. Just know if you need to. I know many times people are against it. Don't give them an option out of it. I'm not that type. I'm an, I'm, my personal opinion when we work with people, there's always an exit strategy. But let's not, that's always the last resort. So it also mm-hmm. reassures a person that they know they could go home. Right. The next step is what we reassure what we reassure children is that you're going to like it. It's normal the first three, four days sometimes to be at night and think about mommy or tati. Oh, this isn't working out or that's not working out. Or it's normal for you to completely like it and forget about us. That's also good. Mm-hmm. And then it's normal yeah. for you maybe to have a fight with someone or something that you won't like or that won't work out. And then you're going to go, oh, you're homesick. That's also normal. But be aware that the next day or three hours later, once it works itself out, you're going to be happy and you're going to like it. Okay, and so meaning telling him two, about these mm-hmm. scenarios beforehand yes. will give him sort of the defense mechanism against That's right. um, like the being scared. How to handle it, yes, to know this okay. is normal. What happens is when people start getting worried, also the word, oh, what's wrong with me? I'll go, oh, everyone has this, and now I'll get over it. Uh-huh. Just being aware that this is normal. And you can also, like, give him a story or share with him a story. So, for an example, you can have, you remember the first time you slept by Bobby and Zadie alone? You were so scared that for a couple of hours, you called me up. I said, well, come tomorrow. And he said, okay, fine. And the next day, they woke, he woke up, and he was so happy. He could share a story with a brother or a sister that it happened to. And then they were able to sleep, you know, sleep away. It's mm-hmm. normal for these things to happen. The first time you do something to be afraid and you want to share with him that this is normal at all ages, uh-huh. when you're 30 and you're 40 and you're 50 and you're 60, it's normal. New things are always scary in the beginning. That's right. Now, we mm-hmm. change the word from scary to uncomfortable. Okay, uncomfortable. And when they're uncomfortable, sometimes we can have th- thoughts in our mind, but then they pass when we're busy. Mm-hmm. So he was nervous, and then he spoke to his older brother. And he asked yes. him, were you nervous when you went for the first time? And my son said, my 17-year-old said, no, I wasn't. So then he said, oh, okay, great, I'm not nervous. And I was wondering if that was real or if it was meaning I don't you know don't get unnervous that fast. I, right, I don't know But was it reassuring was, to him? Have, I might have shared the other way. By the way, your brother was nervous, like if it was true. I don't know. No, he wasn't. My oh, my okay. my other son was not. He, he didn't have a problem with it. Mhm. Okay. So we basically we set him up for knowing what's normal and what to expect. And this way, when it happens, he's not going to be uh, you know scared right. that he's and not he, normal because he's going to yeah. know in advance that he is normal and that this yeah. passes. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much. Exactly. And here comes the last bit on your part, mommy and tatis. Mm-hmm. We need to know that when the kid gets a little afraid, it's okay. We don't mm-hmm. jump to bail out. We don't start saying, oh, it's terrible. We call up the counselor. We tell, we'll speak to the counselor. The counselor will give you a little bit of attention. You make sure he gets a little right. bit more of a supper. Uh, he, they put him to play first. The Rebbe calls on him a kasha that's easy. He goes, wow, that's brilliant. There's a lot that we can do to make the kids feel good. 
Okay. We don't. And how do you know when it's a real case of homesickness? Is what I have seen that happen. Oh, and the kids are like that for a week. A week straight, and you speak to the counselor. Hysterical, like he's really not smiling. I we Mm -hmm. deal with reminiscence. How many times do we have on the program? where a mother calls up saying, the kid cries going on the bus or cries in school and then comes back crying. And meanwhile, we ask them, please call the teacher. And they get back to us the next week and say, oh, the, the kid's kid was great fine. in school. <laughs> Kids okay. many times will play the parents because they know we are afraid. We have the difficulty detaching from okay. the kids when the kids go to camp. Well, mm-hmm. we know kids are safe and kids are good. And you do your research, you find that they also have that ability. They, he'll feel the comfort level on my part. I believe that children get the vibes from their parents. I really do. A hundred percent. And and they're part. super yeah. sensitive, even if, you know. Yeah, so if yeah. we're comfortable, he'll be comfortable um, on yeah, a normal level for a normal growing child. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. And the number to call up, those who would like, is 718-683-5858. You know, Mordechai, about this, uh, you know, so many times we have this question about it, you know, the camp and stuff like this. I think that this uh, this guy, this kid, has a very big advantage that is as an older sibling. And... They can give him a, a good, good, you know, uh, feeling about being in the camp. I know for my kids, I know that the older one Thank you. Uh, was a little bit uh, scary, but when the other ones come and they love to go, they just add, add, add the story about what's going on in the camp, what they're doing, what they, you know, and just was so enthusiastic to go. And as, as the lady said, the vibe of the parents a little bit, uh, uh, play a big factor here. A hundred percent. Excellent. And I want to remind everyone the number to call up is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And once again, I'd like to share with everyone, J-Root Radio is now on 93, 9.30 a.m., 930 on the a.m. dial, and Sponsorship is available, short, very, I should say very few slots available. So right now it's Mart Hashem, it's Monday night, so Mart Hashem is going to be expanding. So for those that are interested, the number to call up is 718-487-9923, 718-487-9923. And sponsorship for a program, commercial, stuff like that is available for your store, all legal, all straight, and please go ahead, call up, and help keep the program and the radio station going. Yeah, and I'll for just those rem- who like to call up, remind the text, te- text the number. Also, the text number is 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. Any question that you don't want to discuss on air, just text us. We'll try to. Um, but we prefer, as you know, all the time, just live uh, live callers, call that's right. Callers. The live calls, we can take a process and understand the beginning thoughts and how it works. So, again, that number is 718-683-5858. And go ahead, call right now. Looking forward for your call, 718-683-5858. We received a text message both to J-Root and the person has also contacted me on my phone line number. And we'll read the question Hello, Mr. Weinberger. First of all, thank you for your hotline. I gain a lot from it. Now, here's an interesting question. 
My four-and-a-half-year-old son's Rebbe mentioned that he might have sensory issues because he gets bothered when he's cold, if bothered, I guess, when he gets pushed in line, bothered from noise, or when he gets a boo-boo. I think he's just making a bigger fuss and has a lot of self-pity. I want to know what is the different, what the difference is and what I can do to help my son. Thank you so much. And this question is a more of a complicated question because this person wants to almost know the diagnosis and how to diagnose, which we won't be able to do. We can recognize the two. We can identify what when someone is feeling a sensory issue and when someone is a little spoiled, but they can overlap that it can look and be age appropriate. I don't even use the word spoiled, just a normal four and a half year old. So just reminding again, the number 718-683-5858, And what I would like to discuss right now is sensory. What sensory can be is it can go several ways. That sensory means your senses, imagine the radar, is set very high. And that's, let's say, the sensory, the sensors, the radars of our skin. So now imagine there's a temperature. Let's say it's a normal temperature of, let's say, 70 degrees, 68 degrees, 69 degrees, and we're comfortable. But now your sensory is set to very high. Also, you're going to start feeling very hot because you're feeling everything a lot more intense. Or how about the other way? If your sensory is set to low, it can be very cold or very hot even, and you're not going to pick it up because your radar is set to low. So you're going to need it to be 50 degrees for you to stop feeling cold, or you're going to need it to be 75 degrees for you to start feeling that it's hot because your body is not picking up the senses, and when it's very high, it's very high. So now, when a kid has got sensory issues, they will be more prone to crying because something is too cold or too hot, Clothing, generally, they're very picky with clothing because it doesn't feel well on them. The socks could be too tight, an undershirt could be too tight, the shirt could be too loose. They don't feel they're doing it. They could be slipping a lot many times with their body. Uh, let's say going to the bathroom, they could have accidents because they're not aware of their body that now they need to use the bathroom. If they get hurt, if their senses are too high, they can be so sensitive that they can cry about all that. The next step that we can realize is that when someone is having the other way, let's say when someone is having the level where they're just being a four-and-a-half-year-old kid, in that case, they're also, because four-and-a-half-year-old kids, they don't get what they want, they cry. It's too cold for them, they'll cry. They don't sleep well enough at night, they'll cry at every little thing. They don't like what they're wearing. They want to change what they're wearing. They see their friend has something different. Now they want that same thing. This is all age-appropriate and normal. So what happens is you need to be a specialist that understands the difference and that recognizes that, well, first of all, the simple questions, is the kid eating, is the kid sleeping? How's the kid walking? Was the child development? Were they a preemie? There's a whole bunch of questions that you go through and you ask, and you want to know, is it just in class? Is it at home? Is it all over? Because a child that has a sensory issue will have it all over. We'll have it at the grandparents. We'll have it at the parents. We'll have it at the park. We'll have it at the neighbors. We'll have it in school. 
And when someone is more four-and-a-half-year-old, just normal age, then they'll be more when they're tired, be more, more in certain circumstances. It really depends where. These are one of the ways that we rule out if it's more, if it's sensory or if there's more to it. I would like to remind everyone the number to call up, 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. We know we got the listeners. Now we just want to get the callers, the live callers, 718-683-5858. And looking forward again to getting your questions and your comments. Yes. Listen, does yes. it make sense where many times people start – getting so worried about sensory issues when it really shouldn't means it's a normal kid and people are starting to blow it up into so many more different circumstances and different situations. Yes, I, I, I would say that the one thing that I wanted to raise is the, the, the ability of the Rebbe to to detect it, you know, to just uh, diagnose it. I just sometimes... Sometimes, uh, unfortunately, we have some teachers that are not so, you know, understanding very well, and everything small. So they just go to the parents. Oh, you, your child, your child is like this, and child like this. I would say that uh, check it a little bit more, you know, with so other like with other teacher with, with other teachers also. Exactly. First of all, just again reminding everyone the number again to call up and ask your question is seven one eight six eight three. Five eight five eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Very rarely would I tell a teacher of any of my children ever. You know, I'm Mordechai Weinberger. I've done a couple of therapy sessions in my life. I've diagnosed several people. This is okay. I really try not to do that. If there's ever an issue, I'm willing to listen to it, work with it with my wife, and we really aim to do that. One of my kids was like probably four and a half in a play group, and all of a sudden we're picking her up and says. You know, one of the other children had one of these children specialists, and right away said, oh, this girl is sitting on the side. She's not playing with others. She already has social interaction. Now, I know this daughter of mine. I know all my children, Baruch Hashem. I spend time with them. I'm with them. She is so social, and she plays, but this daughter definitely has a mind of her own. It means if she wants to play on her own, she's so comfortable being on her own. Adults don't have the comfortability that she has at a young age. It's a nature. We see that in her. And I, so we just said, okay, thank you. The next day we got the message again that she came to see the other kid and she's keeping an eye on my daughter. That was probably the one time that I did it. I called up that person. I said, look, you just graduated. You don't have experience yet. I appreciate that you're helping that other girl. Please do not get involved with my daughter. Do not look at her direction. Do not project your issues on her. Don't give any messages to the teacher, to the playgroup teacher. I'm guaranteeing you she's okay. Yes. yes so yeah, many I think times, it's, exactly what you're saying, Rupnus. I think I think it's so. happened to all of us. Uh, yes. Uh, to all of you know. Sometimes, teacher, you know, as you said, young. Sometimes even older, you know, no patient to this, no, no, this, this is, we are human. And we are missing a lot of, we are the mistakes in, in our life all the time. And sometimes we mistake uh, to diag, to so-called diagnose a kid. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, the, somebody diagnosed the parents more than the kids. <laughs> yes. So, so true. Yes, uh, this is unfortunately we see we see many times that uh, some teachers or some people, uh, you know, that you know, 
judge your kid upon you, upon you, upon you. That's right. Yes. And again, to share with everyone the number, it's 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And the number, so what's the number to text? Okay, I must be going to the other line. So the number to, again, to send your message, it's a call, it's 718-683-5858. Okay, and the text must be 347-927-8398, and we have uh, Mrs. B. Mrs. B, you're on with Mordechai Nerev Nissen. Hi. Yes, welcome. Hello? Yes. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your line. I really enjoy listening to it while doing housework and gaining from you. it a lot. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I appreciated how you defined BPD and made it very clear why it's not a bad middle and a disorder. Would you be able to explain narcissist in the same fashion? Sure. It's the same level. Mm-hmm. I just I just want you to know, I'll just share with everyone what my little krechts is. We had a question this past Matzah Shabbos in the Yiddish program where someone was telling me, how could it be that, let's see, a couple was going to... All right, um, sorry, where this couple is going to an unlicensed therapist. Let's pretend it was licensed, the husband and the wife. The wife stopped going. The husband and the kids are going, let's say, to this therapist, and they're not talking to the mother. How could I justify what's happening? So what I said is, unfortunately, from my experience, I could justify both sides. means it's been several times where, let's say, the woman generally, let's say, like 80% has BPD from the women. So you could have the wife that's BPD, and the minute the therapist starts giving boundaries on what she has to do, then all of a sudden she will drop out of the therapy process. And now the kids that are still stuck with a mother that to the whole world sounds like an innocent victim that in such pain, but really they're not realizing what happens at home. So then the husband and the kids get guidance from the therapist how to set boundaries. And any time you set a boundary, if someone's BPD, they will all, never they will, you know, take it and say it the wrong way. So now what I would like to share is this is the one side. Now I share, let's go to the other side. And it goes as follows. The husband is, let's use this term, the narcissist, controlling. And really what is happening is he makes it extremely tough to work with him. So sometimes therapists that aren't that experienced will say, you know what, the wife is the easier one. Let's try to get her to give in. And the more she tries to give in, she just said, I can't anymore. I've been, everything is about me, about what I did wrong. He doesn't do anything. The minute he has to do anything, he's yelling at the therapist, I'm going to stop. And the therapist feels at least he has him a little bit on the line. And so if we got him a little and we stop, then we might lose him completely. And sure enough, that was the message. So I'm just explaining what happens. And then because the kids 
see how the father's, let's say, the, is manipulating the mother, or the mother's sort of trying to just hold to a certain level of dignity and of decency and of respect. And the father, if he's a narcissist, will be manipulating, saying, look at this, if your mother would only speak to me this way, then I would be so much nicer. Your mother would do that, I'll be nice. And me, all many times they buy them off with money and they take them places, but you see your mother doesn't do any of this. So unfortunately, sometimes you can see both sides. That's why I said you need to have a competent Rav, a very experienced Rav involved. You also need a licensed therapist involved, not to go to someone that's not licensed when it's this serious. And I explain both sides. Since then, I got two messages, both extremes. One thanking me and telling me that very few people know what it's like to have a BPD of a mother, and therefore... But the way I described the first one is exactly what was going on. And then I got another message today sharing the exact other way. What happened to the Mitzvah's Kibbutz of Aim and how dare we talk about this? And you're supposed to be there no matter what. And what happens in all those other situations? Now, I was talking to one of the therapists today in the sense, and I said, I don't want to really want to discuss BPD because I want to try to calm down a little of the intensity. We've created an awareness. I believe I get a large credit for creating more of the awareness. They could get better of this, and we discuss it often. But I want to tone down a little the intensity of a lot of the pain and the hurt, and now it's more about people going for help and getting the skills how to change. So even though that has happened because you're calling about narcissism, let's try to do the same level with a narcissist. Can we understand that just like a woman, which generally 80% of the borderline, let's say, would be women, is because they are caring so much and they have all these emotions in them, and they're feeling so much that this is the nine ways that they can show their pain. Extreme emotions, ups and downs, hearing things or in words that you didn't mean how you're hurting them, which you didn't mean, but they're so sensitive, and remember, because they're feeling a tremendous pain on the inside. What we're going to do now is we're going to go through the nine criterias, which you need five or more of them to diagnose a narcissism, and we'll take it through the same lens. So just as an example, we're making it up. But imagine this person was raised in a home where they weren't given any respect at all. They weren't looked at. It didn't matter what they said. And the only way they were able to survive from their severe pain is to start saying, I'm really so good. People don't realize how good I am. And if people would realize how good I am, boy, would they respect me. And if this kid would get a 70 on a test, would say, ha, I didn't even study anything close to the guy that got 100. So I'm so much smarter than that person. All right? So it comes from, remember, personality disorders come from severe pain, severe hurt. And therefore, what is happening is as follows. Let's go through another criteria. The first one has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So they will exaggerate their achievements and talents, expect to be recognized as superior without commensurating achievements. So they're walking around wanting people to tell them how great they are, even if they aren't doing great actions. Does that make sense so far how the first one fits? Because of their pain, what they're looking for is compliments 24-7 saying how good they are. Does this make sense so yes. far? The yes. second one is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. That means that now, because they're in such pain, they're talking about how good life could have been, what they should have deserved, 
when they were dating this wealthy person wanted them. This Rosh Hashiva or Rebbe Shemeshpach was looking into them. Even though they never picked up on it or they weren't even interested, but someone just said they're looking. They need to change reality for them to feel how great they are. Does this make sense so far? Remember, it's coming from emptiness. They're not any different than anyone else, but they can hear that because they're so searching for love that that's what they're looking for. And listen, the narcissist is the person that when we discuss that's never giving their wives anything, never giving care or love to the, to the children, and they're always demanding if a kid gets a low mark, they feel it's their covet that was pagan by the kid getting a bad mark, and therefore they can yell and scream and hit. They have to get, there's a cute joke, as if someone says, what the, the Rav calls, or the Gab asks him, what's your name? And he says, Chaim ben Yankel Shishi. You know, for the lips, you say, Chaim ben Yankel Shlishi. Like, I need to get the most coveted one, that's part of my name. It's coming from the emptiness. The third one is, believes that he or she is special and unique and can be only understood by others who are as special or high status as them. Because they feel so worthless, and many times they see where their family comes from, or sometimes it could be from very Chasha families, but they feel, you see, I deserve this. Only Chasha people can understand me. Those are usually the signs of the person that has the emptiness within. The greatest of the G'daylam can speak to everyone and feel we're all Yidin. And as we know in the Halacha, if you have God Adar, you can have Ramesha Feinstein, you know, let's say drowning, and then you have a simple Yid drowning. The person is to save himself because every yid is equal and special. We need to understand it. Of course, you want to save God Adar, you want to do that, but you're, there's to yourself. A person that has such a severe emptiness is a sign that they cannot interact with people that have mistakes, and that's every one of us. The next is, because they're so empty, the fourth criteria is, requires excessive admiration. They always need credit and attention wherever they go, how good they are. Fifth is, has a sense of entitlement. It's I deserve. You need to give me this, and I shouldn't have to work, and things should just go smooth and easy, and you have no right, yours compared to my needs. It's, again, all coming from that, em- from that emptiness. The sixth is interpersonally exploitative. They take advantage of others. So here they're busy talking about honesty and how the world's not honest, but they are, and the minute it comes to them, they will take advantage. The seventh one is, this is a big one, a lack of empathy. They don't feel others' pain. They don't see when they're not bringing in money, when they yell at their wife, why can't you go to the grocery and tell the guy, so what if I owe you money? Don't you know I have kids to feed? I have to put supper on? What about your feeling to your wife that she's got to embarrass herself that way? Big deal. How many times do you have these, these narcissists where they're barely bringing in a living, and they're going to a restaurant and the kids barely have food? There's no lack of empathy. Because of their pain that they were raised, they don't have the ability to have room to feel for anyone else. Not because they're bad, Nebuch. It's from pain. The eighth is a big one. is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. They're busy because they feel empty. This one's jealous of me. That one really wishes to be me. I wish I could be that one. Busy knocking down other people. And the ninth one is many times show arrogance about guys of haughty behaviors or attitudes. 
can we realize how this is all the same underlying root of pain, of worthlessness, of shame? And a borderline will take that pain into yelling and screaming and trying to control and trying to help. And they need the attention all the time because they don't want to be alone. And the narcissist is, I need attention. You need to tell me how I am better than everyone else. And a large part of the differences between these are the differences between men and women on how we need our different needs. Does that help out? It's very clear, but I have another question according to your answer. Um, okay. Can you say that most, most criminals do whatever they do because they have a void or a lack or a need for attention or for... Um, most definitely. I would definitely look at it that way. Sure. Why would so, anyone ever want to do crime? It's several levels. Number one, they have a void and a lack. Number two, they don't have the skills how to go out and earn it. Yes, that's the whole concept of rehabilitation. Right, but Yiddish, um, you that's say the concept of an avid, of an avid every. Like they're not, they're not, they don't need to be punished or blamed. But when someone is a criminal, um, we perceive it as they're bad. What's the difference? I really think we should be changing that perception, looking at criminals as people that are in a lot of pain, have made mistakes, but they still have to pay the price. And the same is with the borderline, and the same is with the narcissist. I never said because we have Rahmanis and we feel bad, so that means we allow them to do damage. That's where we said you got to go for therapy. That's where you need the Rav to set the boundaries. What is a marriage shalom bias? Why not? When is there a mitzvah kibbutz of aim, and why not? When is it damaging? That's why we always say you got to speak to a Rav. But what is the underlying core? When you look at someone that did a criminal act, are you looking at him that he's evil, forget it, they're terrible, lock him up? Or would you rather say they're missing certain things, they went through a tough childhood, they went through difficult reasons of why things happen? Yeah. And that's what we hope the Rabbi Shalom does it with us every Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Yes, Chotosi. Yes, Avisi, yes, Pashati. But please understand, I'm trying to do better. And do we right, have to so pay for our crimes? Yes. Right, so could you say that bad mitzvahs are the same? They're also coming from a certain lack? It doesn't matter what if the here. Just because I don't know what bad mitzvahs are. I know there's something called a kasin, is something. I don't know about that. That you need to ask a rub. I've said that many, many times. I don't know the difference. All I know is when the Rabbanim sent to me, it's not anymore a Midas issue. Midas is when you take out a Mesil Yisharim. That's when it's a Midas issue. Midas issue is when you go to the Rav and the Rav gives you the guidance. When the Rav sends to a therapist, it means it's pathological. It means it's more than just Midas. It means there's something wrong in their way of thinking. Something wrong in a lot deeper level where they're stuck. And it's not taking out a safe that's going to help. As long as it's a safer part, please do not go to a therapist. I say this all the time. Our job is when the Rav says it's not Svarim, it's not Yiddishkeit, it's an emotional issue. Mm-hmm. So basically it depends on the severity. That's exactly like everything. Do you think a regular person, someone that has cast acts like this, doesn't care about the wife or kids? Their wife doesn't have food to eat. Would you say that's a midas issue and he doesn't feel that? Or would you say there's something wrong with his mind? 
Would you say a mother that has borderline that will tell other kids, do not speak to this kid, do not go to their wedding? Would you say that's a midas issue? Would you say they're in severe pain or their way of thinking is warped? Right, yeah, their, their way of thinking is worse, I would say that. Yeah, do you see narcissism? Doesn't care about the kids, the wife, all care about is my covet and my respect. A kid member has a surgery and all the parents worried about, how am I going to be perceived if my kid is ill? Would you say this is Midas? Kaf, Baishin, is that what it sounds like? Or does that sound like they're ill? And we understand we view them for whatever reasons, but you need now, like therapists, like a doctor that will treat the illness. Rabbanim know the difference, and the Rabbanim are the ones that said. Is part of diagnosis? Lying, yes, a large part of it. That's what I said, they have a perceived story. There's, yes. Again, not, not so when someone has a measles issue, no say that lying. again. What? It's not a perceived story because they don't think that it's true. They know that it's not true. Then it can be just... other parts to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got my answer. Thank you very much. You got it. You're welcome. Harumnissa, what do you say to that? You know, we discussed this so many times about, uh, you know, this issue. And unfortunately, we know quite a few people that, uh, and the awareness that we're trying to raise that these people need to go to a professional therapist, unfortunately. If they can do it themselves, I, I, you know, doubt, really doubt. Yes. Yes. So true. So true. We'll go to uh, Mrs. A, please. Mrs. A. Hello. Hello, hi, you're on the air with Mordechai, yes, and Harav Nissen. Yeah, hi, um, I have a lighter question. Um, oh, first I want to please, say, appreciate it. Yeah, um, I want to make a comment, I was walking on the street and I hear two women talking about, no, she's fire, so really, whatever, and the other one say, no, I think she's water, so I figured they must be talking about their bo- your book, I assume. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, my question is like this, it's about a child, but it's not a parenting question. Um, a child that I realized, a five-year-old child, started breathing very, like, she's like out of breath. I didn't mention anything. I ignored it. I figured, you know, it's going to pass. But then the child herself realized that she's doing it, and she keeps on telling me, I really can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I checked it out. Um, also, I went to the doctor or something else, and I told the doctor quietly about it because I didn't want her to hear that I'm concerned yeah. about it. And he checked it out, and he said, it's nothing. So I assume it's not a physical issue, and I'm wondering what you would say to it. How old is the child? Five. Five. Um, I would just tell the kid, okay, see if other kids were saying that, or maybe they're just taking deep inhales and they, they're saying one thing. I told her, this is, you're breathing, this is another way of breathing. Some people breathe like this, some people breathe like, like that. But it's, That's right, you know, excellent. But um, she keeps on telling me, I really can't breathe, like I'm not comfortable. Well, then I would go to a second opinion. Five-year-old kids don't just go around and say that. Right. Um, I've heard of older people having it, which comes from anxiety. I was wondering the five-year-old. Five-year-old kids do not have that. I would ask you, do other parents or anyone in the family talk about these things? Breathing, no. No. Other medical stuff. 
Um, not really, not with the kids here. I mean, uh, doesn't matter. Oldest. The kids still don't hear it. Kids hear it. That's the difference. Kids hear everything. Yes. Uh -huh. So that's one of the famous rules. If kids, if parents are saying that, then kids will come up in different ways. Yes. So your advice. Um, let the parent or the relative that has the issue with the medical stuff go for help, and you'll see the changes in the five-year-old. That's what we always say. That's why we don't take questions for five-year under the age of eight. It's almost always the environment or the parent need the guidance, then that will change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is okay. It, is it, is um, the check, uh, sorry to check it with the, the uh, MD. Uh, second, as uh, Maude has said, second opinion. Maybe yeah, it's al allergy. Yeah, complain about breathing. And so, just because one... Allergy test. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. So you're saying first I should check it out as a physical thing again, and then, then yeah. I could blame the emotional part. Yep. I, I, again, I still think either way that one with whatever's going on with a parent with a physical issues to understand this is what happens to kids. Kids will be around it. Even if a kid, even if a parent doesn't say, "Oh, yeah, I'm always sick. I'm always sick," but I don't have care to go to go wrong with you outside. I don't have care for this. I don't have care for that. When people have emotional stuff or physical illnesses, we are not aware as to how much we share that in other ways than our words. Mm -hmm. I get that. I have another question. Go also ahead. Such a physical, emotional kind of question. Um, is it possible to develop a tendency to to blush? A person who never blushed before. Yes. Where does it come from, and how can you help Blushing yourself? is a natural body's way of saying I am shy, I'm embarrassed. It's a it's a beautiful meter to have. Unfortunately, when it. we get older, we've gone through so many situations that we don't blush anymore. But when someone blushes, it's the body saying, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. Now, what can we do for me to feel safe? How about uh, the other way, a person who never had any issues with it and just... Uh... Then we start looking, what's going on? What issues are now coming up that you're blushing? Did you do something and you're embarrassed? Are you in a new environment and now you need to learn that? Blushing is a body's natural response for saying something is coming up, it's disturbing me a little, now deal with it. It's like every time the stomach growls, all it means is that you're hungry. Even now, if there's no significant pattern, just could be anything? Let's just take it very simple. Blushing is a sign that the brain is a little embarrassed or shy of something. It could be a medical condition, but, but so check that out if that's what you're worried about. But many times you'll find that it's around the emotional stuff that's going on. Okay, I hear that. Yeah, that's what blushing is. I get it. With pleasure. Okay. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Yes. And we've got another caller. I just would like to remind everyone the number to still call up, 718-683-5858, We go to and Mr. N. go to Mr. Mr. N. N. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for this program. I appreciate ah, it very much. My pleasure. I want to ask a question, but first I want to give... Um, a little maramokam of something that came up many times here. Um, you speak a lot about mindfulness. Yes. 
and people ask if this is some kind of kafira or something or non other religion stuff. So I find something that is very similar in Chodos Ovos in Shara Bechena, where he explains what's the benefit of shikha forgetting. So he yes. says that one. Uh, it mentions a lot of different benefits why Hashem created this thing. One of the benefits is saying that a person would never have peace, Menicha, if he would remember a lot of stuff. So the Mefarish is Mazber, that if we don't forget, our mind is in many places at the same time, and that makes a person very much overwhelmed when you think about a lot of things. And he says, after a person is so overwhelmed, comes Atzus, which is depression. Wow. On the on the other side, he says, if a person can stop thinking of so many things at once, comes quietness, hashkait, and after yeah. quietness comes simcha. Wow. I think it's a it's a decent maramukam for mindfulness. Wow, it really is the hashkait, the quiet, the peacefulness. Being mindful. That brings simcha. And that brings simcha. When you're here in the moment and you can quiet down all the other thoughts, beautiful. Shkoyach. Yes. Beautiful. Then to my question, I have a question about another thing that you constantly mention, that anxiety and panic attacks is more of a, like a symptom the body says something is wrong, there are certain programs that is not okay, that needs to be changed. Yes. And that's what the inner work is, going down to the root and the chain of events, How how, what is developing in those symptoms. So what happens when a person takes medication for those symptoms? What's usually your experience? Or the people go back to the inner work or they just take medication and... They have peace of mind, and that's it. Ooh, this is a very good question and a bit of a tough question. And let me share with you why. There is major machlekes in, in psychology how you view the human brain, and there are many different schools of thoughts. The medical system views the body as machines. That means... We're having too much stress, slow it down. The machine isn't doing that well. Let's give it some oil, some WD-40, give it the medication. Once the machine starts working again, then usually you can get off it. Or if you're using the machine a lot, then you're going to have to keep on oiling it. So they don't have a problem if someone takes medication all the time. Then you've got the cognitive therapy or the cognitive behavioral therapist, which views it's very simple. It's your way of thinking that's causing all these problems. So if you just change your way of thinking, then everything gets better. You don't change your way of thinking, then you'll have to take medication because the medication is helping the brain function even with this negative programs. Then you have the existential type theory, which is more the subconscious, which is a person wants to be happy in life. 
If there is a problem going on, means there's a problem in your atmias. What's going on? Let's see what's stopping you from having your life's wishes. Let's see what's, ho- what's holding you back from reaching your life's goal. And once we can change that and identify that, then, boy, will we see big changes all over in our life. Okay. Now, when someone takes medication, depending on the view, that is what we are going to be working on it. So if someone's an existential or even cognitive and behavioral therapy and the person's on medication, a cognitive therapist will say, let's start changing your way of thinking so you can get off the medication. Same as if someone's existential. What's the purpose in life? What's this person's purpose? What's holding them back? And then what happens is we're able to work on it to keep them to get rid of whatever is clogging up the pipe so they can get off medication. And this mm-hmm. is... Theory. This is how the different worlds look at it. And today, Baruch Hashem, there's a more irbuv, uh, let's call it a challenge of looking at all three of them together. So we need medication at times, you need cognitive therapy, you need the existential theories, you know, therapy modalities, and, and you also need many times the trauma modalities to heal parts of the brain that could get stuck when it gets jammed. Each of those are systems that we need. So correct me if I get you right, is um, people who are taking medication, they go for therapy, they want to be able to get off the medication. Yes. There's a group of those. Yes. Um, but and there are those, the other question is, like doctors that like looking at it, what's the big deal if you're on medication? Right. On the other side are people who just want to grow, so they do therapy to... to That's right. things. Now, but the other question is, real therapy usually is tough. It takes it takes a lot. I mean, to go to places where you, people don't want to go to, where they're changing patterns from, from many, many yes. years. And usually Definitely. that comes from that. You have me smiling. Yes, people <laughs> have told me that I minimize the work sometimes of what therapy really is, and it is true. It is hard work many times. So... So a person has to be desperate to go there, no? Either desperate or the type of nature that looks, wants to feel a fulfilled life. Baruch Hashem, us Yidin especially, we have a, a chico, we have a want to have happiness, to enjoy our life. And enjoying our life does not mean partying, does not mean blowing money. Enjoying life means feeling you're living with Hashem, you're walking with Hashem. Mm-hmm. So you find that from experience? Oh, People tremendous. Meditation to, to stay in therapy? Yes, yes. And more and more, the more people are hearing about it, the more people are getting open to medication, the more people are starting to share about it. Yes, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Is there also a concept that somebody takes medication and the person feels good? Let's say he doesn't have panic attacks for a while and gets used to it. The body, the brain forgets those symptoms that is one of the goals of medication so yes as we've had dr nudman on the program several times here on j radio and what he was sharing with us is that most studies show that when a person's on it for a year and if it's not a major diagnosis they're able to get off it even without therapy of course this it lasts better and longer if they are on 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 it or therapy was involved but medication itself can be sort of like a tune-up for the brain Yes. 
Again, we need to run this by doctors. And again, it all depends which diagnosis. You can't say this for if someone's bipolar and they're having it, someone's schizophrenic, absolutely not. But it, uh, therefore, I want to clarify, it depends what, what diagnosable issues, but many times for depression, for anxiety, the simple ones, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Wonderful. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye. Great awareness. Okay. Uh, Mordechai. Yeah. Okay, we'll just go to uh, uh, Miss... Uh, one second. Miss B, okay? With okay. The parents, with the parents' permission. One second. Yeah. Yes, okay. we are. Hello, Miss, Miss B. B. Hello. 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 Yes, Miss B. Yes. Thanks for the radio show. Thanks for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. Calling, yes. The reason I'm calling is not because I have a question. It's actually sure. because we have a project in class, and we have to make a biography of someone who inspired your life and many others. So. The first thing I thought that about a biography was you, your work, your radio show, how many people you make happy, and actually I got help when I asked a question and sent in letters. And I thought that my only chance is to call in and ask Whoa. if there's a possibility. Okay, let's go ahead. Let's try to do it on air. What type of questions do you have? So if if you, as a child, what did you think about it? Was this your goal to reach? I never thought I would be in psychology even 1%. My goal was just to go through class, go through the yeshiva system, and manage. I always had friends, I was always liked, but I did not do that well in the system. There was always I was always told so much potential, but somehow I wasn't I wasn't utilizing my my full kayak, my full potential. So I always felt that there was kayakus in me and I always thought I can go far, but I never thought I would really actualize anything will ever amount of me. So when you're asking what I dreamed of being I would say like every other boy and every other teenager, whatever I'll do, I'll just do something. And I'll always put my best because that's who I am. But I never dreamed Hashem will ever put me in the position where I am now. Never dreamed wow. in my wildest dreams. And after failing the law exams, what motivated you to start from start and go into a new thing? So those are one of my great endorsements till today. And when I took the LSATs, the test to get in, on the, all the practice tests, I was really heading for NYU, Columbia, even thinking about going out to Harvard and then getting those low tests. Part of it was that reaffirmation. You see, you're so full of potential, but reality you're never going to reach. And then I had that voice in me, and I also had some very good friends supporting me at that time. And just telling me, whatever you put yourself to, you always do your best, and the rest is Menashe Mayim. So just do your best. And when I was studying for the LSATs, when I was studying for all that, an average person puts in maybe 15, I would say not even that much, let's say 15 to 20 weeks. 
of sorry, 15 to 20 hours a week. I put in over 40 hours a week, and people usually do it for three, four months, and I did it for a year straight. I always put in more than I could without expecting to do, without expecting to get back, but I do beyond my best. So I had mm-hmm. friends to keep me chizuk. At the same time, while I was practicing that, I was also doing the alternative type therapy helping people. So I was feeling successful in other areas. Even when I was learning, and I didn't think I'll be that much or I'll do that much, but I always strive for to reach some high places. So, for example, I was learning in Tarvadas at that time to get smicha from Rav Pamzatzal. So while other things might not be working out, but I always had goals. I always found myself succeed when I had goals, tangible goals, like something I could reach. So there was a time I was trying to learn a Balada day or Gemara, sometimes an Amada day, whatever it was, but that kept me going. Then it was, I always had different goals, and that little goal of maybe a half hour a day or sometimes an hour a day is the chizuk that kept me going during those difficult times. But I had lots and lots of times doubts, will I ever amount to anything? And I still have that, even now. Just recently I was telling my wife that, yes, in certain areas, Baruch Hashem, I'm amazed at how much success Hashem has given me. And then I'm just like everyone else going, oh, but this could have been better and that could have been better. And had I done this earlier, this would be different now. It would be so much more and so much different. So I'm still just as human battling and challenging all the difficulties that I go through. And I also, one of the things that helped me out is I go weekly for therapy. It helps me get clear and all those different things buzzing in my head, just stay focused. What would be another question? What did your family say about it? How did they take it? That I'm going for social work? That... Um, They all thought it's a great idea. No one thought I would ever make a Parnas in it. But they supported me, and they knew it's something helping people, so it was very rewarding. I had at that time two aunts in the field. My father has two sisters, and one of them was a social worker, and one of them helps a lot, a lot of people, and they both were helping people but financially struggling but we felt this is Hashem said no to the law schools, or at least the levels that I wanted. Yes, I got accepted to several law schools, but not the ones that I wanted. I said, now let's see if therapy, let's see if Hashem wants that to happen. And boy, has he shown me that when he wants something to work and got to let go of my control. So yes, um, there wasn't as much encouragement saying, yes, it's a nice thing, it's honorable and noble, but... We also have to make a parnasa, and average social workers, when I was doing it, the average pay was about $50,000 a year, 60 max. Because the therapy was not popular at that time? No. In fact, if it was, it was only for women, not men. Whoever I told I was going to social work school, they told me, oh, my wife's a social worker or my mother's a social worker. Almost no one has told me my husband is or my father. And whoever was, they were psychologists. And how do yeah, you like it? Yeah, we're talking about 14 years ago. Wow. How do you like it? I love it. I am alive every single day. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed, and I think it's amazing, and it's a schuss to be able to do what I do. 
And every year when I daven, I daven almost every day, but especially Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I daven for Siat Deshmai that Hashem should give me another great, amazing year to be able to help Kalah Yisrael. It's, it's amazing the responsibility and the achrayas that Hashem gives me and trusts me. And at times I need to be able to say things I can't do. And there are always cases that come that I start getting into and then it explodes a little where I didn't expect it. And it gets overwhelming. I was sharing with people that it's been a while since I had a sleepless night. About last week I had a sleepless night one night. And that's being in it in many years. It, the, the field has an achrayas to it. If I don't do a daily question and answer, and I feel there are thousands of people that could be listening and I didn't do it, I need to weigh. Me not doing it, what is the, what's the price? The Rabbi Islam has given me an achrayas. On the other hand, at times I need a break, and that inner doubt. So every feel that Hashem gives someone, I guess if I can share it to you, and this is a bit everyone listening, you love it at first. It's exciting at first. Then it gets overwhelming. Then you learn the balance, and then you constantly need to infuse how special it is and how good it is, and each one in their different ways. So me, it's by sometimes taking new projects in the psychology field, in the therapy field. But So it's great, and I love it, but I don't want people to think that, oh, I love it, as in that Instagram picture or that little Facebook that people take a picture, the smile, and everyone thinks they're happy. No, I love it, but it's many times overwhelming. Many times I need to get away for a day or two or three and just recharge myself. And that's called normal and healthy. And how long did it take for you to reach such a level? If you're talking about in social work, it's a two years master's, and then I've taken many, many courses after and many, many courses before. Uh, I started the field of the alternative type therapy, so I've taken workshops for a month at a time. So, and I'm always learning, so I don't know if I got to a Madrega. We just finished taking now like a 10-day workshop. I did five days, and I plan on Merchant where you're discussing what training we're all going to take next year. So I don't know if I'm ever done. But besides for doing that, it's as well as what about learning? Try to learn every single day. Daven to the Rabbi It's not just about the helping people. It's about helping people when you're connected to Hashem, asking for Hashem to send Siyat Deshmaya, and asking Hashem for the humility to say, when I can't help someone, not to feel, oh, it's my achrayas to do it, and then Chas Hashem hurt the person. Sometimes I need to say I can't. Both I can't help them, or if I help them, it will hurt me. And that's constantly living with Hashem and doubting myself many times and needing the support of Hashem to guide me. Rav Nissen, what do you say to all of this? I just, I tell you, Professor, I'm quiet, and I said like this, wow, this little girl took the show, and Baruch Hashem, she took your guts out, you know, and that, you know, yeah. it's amazing, amazing. I want to tell you that you have a, good, a great future uh, if you continue to be such a smart girl and amazingly caring lady. And Do you hear in her voice, and you say, how old did you say she is, Rabnison? She's 12 years. It's amazing. Do really. you see how confident yes. she is? I'm, she's I'm, clear. Yes. And it's that's amazing. what I, I was quiet. Yeah. 
and I let you let her to run the show. I didn't even realize it. I, I felt like I'm being interviewed by a 25-year-old person. Yes. And I'm giving answers to an adult. I wasn't giving answers to a 12-year-old. No, and I tell you, she touched, she touched you and she touched all, I think, all, all of us. And uh, it's really beautiful. And this is like, the, the, I would say, the right way uh, to, to basically to finish our show. Because uh, we have a very big surprise now in our show. Uh you know, we have DJ Yehuda that's coming here to fill this, this space up to Rabbi Itzi Greenfield. And Bezat Hashem will just, uh, I this it will be permanent. We'll see how it's working. Okay, I have one more question. Yes. Um, Go ahead. Do you have any message that you want me to pass on? Definitely. For every, well, I'll give you personal. Know your strengths. As Reb Nissa said, you are interviewed like an adult. You have the clarity, the maturity of an adult. And with that, remember that strength within yourself. And sometimes when we're adults, as I said, I go through doubts many times. Realize doubts are normal, but keep on going. Put the best that you could. And even if Hashem says, like, no to law school, and to me it was a huge blow to my ego, and on so many levels, all my friends were going out to work and all that, and I'm like, I'm going to be the first of the guys to become a social worker. But just put your best in there, and let the Rebbein Shalom do the rest. And I guess to come the full 180 degrees or 360, my wife's grandfather that was Nifta, that we started the program at 93 years old, he was a leader. And he led by quietly building Yisrael that we have the generation that we have today. They weren't looking at all the fanfares, and they weren't measuring themselves, where am I now? It's when we look at 93, at the end of the journey, for this time, for this process, where is he? What did he leave over? And boy, did he leave something over. So the message is, put your best in there. Always dive into the Rebbein Shalom Fusiyata Deshmaya. And I still struggle today if I'm on the right path. And to remember that struggle is something we'll have with us till we hit that 120. Just keep on doing your best and daven for siyata deshmaya. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to give you now my message. Okay, go ahead. Again, like an adult. <laughs> so you go never ahead. gave up. Radio show, motivational quotes, therapist, and a daily questions and answers. That's a lot. And then writing books and courses. Also, you're going now to school to become a psychologist. Wow, that's major goals you've reached. I really am, am, I have a lot of emotions now. Thank you so much for both of you. You're welcome. I just want you to know, to have such a child, you must have an amazing and great parents. And this goes back generations and it goes future generations and appreciate you can give each of your parents a hug and a kiss and your ability i'm touched at your knowledge and skill and feelings at 12 and the rabbi shalom should continue sending you such siyata dishmaya amen and hopefully with shams up i'll send you a copy of my biography Thank okay. you. I would love to read your book, Merit Hashem, one day. I would look forward to even writing a forward to your book. Thank you for the coverage. Yes. I really appreciate your time that you gave me. You're welcome. 
And Rob Miss, my guest, I got to thank you for believing in me <laughs> and putting the program on. I believe. I, I remember I, way I, back when. I thank Gadosh Baruch Hu that sent a good mess. Um, people to this radio station and Baruch Hashem yeah. and we are uh, going to continue with a really uh, a new addition to the Monday uh, this specially addition uh, DJ Uda is coming here now and take my chair right now so <laughs> I am just is DJ Yehuda in the studio? yes so, so uh, let me just give him a shout out okay yes here here come on. Yehud, DJ Yehuda what a pleasure to be with you again Good. Pleasure is all mine. Hatzlocha and siyata deshmaya and take it away. Thank you so much. Hatzlocha to you. Hatzlocha.